If you're able to stand, I want to invite you to stand as we read Revelation chapter 6. If you remember from last week, Jesus Christ went up to the throne of God and took from the right hand of God a scroll sealed with seven seals. And here in Revelation 6, we see that seal opened. What I want you to pay attention to as we read is the pattern of how this passage just kind of moves. And I want you to specifically be listening and looking for where the pattern is broken. And I suggest to you that is signaling for us what the focus of the passage is. Let's read Revelation chapter 6. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand. 
This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're we're in it now. This passage is strange. But what I want you to see is a simple point. I mean, just just take verses one through eight, those four horsemen of the apocalypse. And look at the end of verse eight and you'll see the book of Revelation is not meant to be confusing. It's meant to be a revelation. It's meant to be clear. And right there it says at the end of verse eight, they, these four horsemen, were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. What do all the colors mean? What do, they, what, what do all these images mean? That's what it means. These are agents of God's judgment that are, that are coming in cycles on the earth right now and have been since this was written. That second horse is bringing blood. That's why he's red. The third horse is, or the horseman is bringing financial hardship on the earth. Times and in places where it's hard for a family even to buy bread. That's what he's saying. That fourth horse is pale or sickly green because it's bringing disease. Now, these, these horsemen are out there. They're not, they're not everywhere always. But there are waves of these things that are happening even now because the scroll has been opened. And I'm guessing most of you have memory of some of these things happening in your life. The first four seals of the six we're covering today they're really painful. And they're not just experienced by God's enemies. Believers of Jesus Christ have to experience these judgments of God on his fallen and rebellious earth. Believers experience violent deaths. Economic crashes. Pandemics. And they're awful. And they are not enough. Because the end of verse 8 says it only covers a fourth of the earth. It's not enough. It, these are temporary that's not judgment enough. These four seals, the re reason I say that is because these four seals beg questions. That's what's different about the fifth and sixth. All of a sudden, people start speaking in the fifth and sixth. And they're asking questions. Based on the first four. Look at the question, verse 10. That believers cry out after those four 
seals are broken in verse 10. They cry out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You haven't done that yet. It's not enough. And I want you to notice Jesus does not rebuke them for saying that. He basically just says, hold on. And then it comes in the sixth seal. Look at the question there. Now, this is the unbelievers who are experiencing what they've earned. The great day, verse 17, of the wrath of God and the wrath of Jesus has come. And who can stand? There is this party game that I was thinking about while reading that. That sounds really strange. I'm a weird, I'm a strange fella. It's a strange book. I'm a strange fella. And uh, I was thinking about this game, Would You Rather? You know, that, that game that people, you know, get to know you, kind of icebreaker. Would you rather see 10 minutes into the future or would you rather see 150 years into the future, and, and it's a no-brainer that you should answer 150, because surely I'll be done by then. Would you rather sing along while the worship team plays, or would you rather dance along? Chapter 6 is like, would you rather, but it's not a game. Six seals opened. And it feels like all hell is breaking loose. Beloved, the first thing I want you to understand is hell is not breaking loose. Hell is breaking out. And it's breaking out as the Lamb of God breaks each seal. What I mean to say is someone is doing this. What we're reading. And it was repeated over and over. The lamb broke the seal. The lamb broke, opened the seal, opened the seal, opened the seal. Verse 17, it is the wrath of the lamb that we're watching. Whether we like this part of Jesus or not. Does not change anything. About the reality that this will happen. Now, it does affect your relationship and what will happen to you, whether you're offended by this part of Jesus. So, the title of the sermon is Would You Rather? Would You Rather? And there are two choices. Laid out one in the fifth seal and the second in the sixth seal. Here's the sermon in a sentence. Better to die for Jesus than to live against him. Better to die for Jesus than to live against him. I want you to be really clear. I'm not, and certainly, I'm not calling you to some sort of jihad, some sort of holy war where you put yourself in a position where you're guaranteed to die for Jesus. Jesus is not calling us to do that. 
But he is, and I am setting up a comparison for you and inviting you from this passage to consider what is better. That there's, that there's something worse than dying for Jesus. Better to die for Jesus than to live against him. I am saying that you today should commit yourself to one of the two. Recognizing you're already committed to one of the two. Would you rather? Point number one, die for the lamb. Would you rather die for the lamb? That's in verses 9 through 11. I want to, from this passage, remind you that living for Jesus will always Always be worth it. And this passage even lays out for us the advantages that are offered to those who live for Jesus even after this life ends. But understand this too. If you will live for Jesus, you will live with a target on your back. And the example to us is in verse 9. Those who are slain for the word of God and for the testimony that they had borne. They they have witnessed, it says, the the, the witness that they have borne is the word that we get the word martyr for. They have died for Jesus. They know this better than anyone. If you live for Jesus, you live with a target on your back. And, And I want you just to understand this is part of following Jesus. It's part of the deal. The possibility of this is just part of what we sign up for. Let me, let me just give you an example that you, that you can understand. And, and, and some people don't understand this, so I think I've got to tell you this. If you say yes to marriage, or you want to act like you're married, then you are saying yes to children. You are saying yes to the possibility of children just by saying yes to marriage or acting like you're married. You understand? And if you say yes to the one who the world killed and you say, I'm going to live for him, you are saying yes to the possibility that I will die for him. It's just part of the deal. Now, why would it be better to die for Jesus than to live against him? We, we're given several points here in, in these, first, these, these verses 9 through 11. And, and the first one is that those who die for the lamb are not left in the shame of their death. They're not left there on a cross just... Just hanging there. They're not, they're not left beheaded in the shame of a beach. They're, they're not forgotten in, in, in some alley. Look, look where they are. Look where they are. Their soul is under the altar. The body they may kill. But, but the Lord will, will keep us safe. 
The, 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 the truest and most important part of us, the soul is there under the altar. That is the place where precious blood was taken into the temple of God and put there on the altar of incense. Blood that is precious to him and where the, the incense is, is burned and, and, and the aroma rises to the Lord and it is pleasing to him. This is a place of honor to the Lord and that's where their souls go. That's why it's better. Die for the lamb than to live against him. But also it's better to die for the lamb than to live against him because the lamb is, it says in this text, sovereign, holy and true. He is sovereign. He is holy and he is true. And that means if he is sovereign and all powerful, the king of the universe, whether anyone recognizes it or not, he is worthy of dying for. If anything is worthy of dying for, he is worthy of dying for. He is holy. There's nothing wrong with him. He's absolutely perfect and he is true. It's better to die for him than to live against him. It is dangerous to live against sovereign, holy, true Jesus. It's better to die for him because look at what he does to them. Not just where he put them. He doesn't rebuke them for crying out for a final judgment on all those who oppose God's people, he gives them a white robe. The color he's wearing. Just to remind us again that suffering for Jesus is never rejection by Jesus. He accepts them. And then he gives them not just a white robe, but then he gives them rest. I, I just want you to understand in this and this seal after seal of God's judgment, when we get to the fifth seal, we hear about someone's judgment, but we are focused on someone's salvation. What I mean is, in this terrible, terrifying passage, there are people in the passage who are the most hopeful, who have the most hope, and they are right there. Having been slain for Jesus. They're the ones who die for the Lamb. As much as we might be tempted to resist this fate, they have no regrets. But I'm talking to you, and I want to appeal to you that you need to believe that it's better to die for Jesus than to live against Him. And I want you to be convinced. First of all, if you're going to accept what I've said is the point of this passage, then you must believe that Jesus offers to us something more than a safe life. He offers to us something more than a long life. Don't believe it, children. Don't believe it, children. If anyone comes to you and tells you that you should follow Jesus because it will make your life better or safer, don't believe it. He offers you something better than that. What we long for is what they longed for. How long, oh Lord? What a Christian longs for is not a long and safe life. What we long for is the completion of God's plan. He will not let this world go unanswered. 
We long for a new world where evil is no more. Where all the obstacles to seeing him and being with him are gone. How long till that day? Genuine believers are true to the end. No matter the end. And yet, let's not ignore that the possibility of dying for the Lamb is not an easy one to accept. I just want to remind us that the Lamb knows something about dying for others. He's a Lamb. Whenever we see some people actually do die for him, we need to remember not only that he's saying some more need to die for me. That's what he's saying in verse 11. The fullness of your brothers needs to come in. Others who will be slain like you need to come in. It needs to happen. But we need to remember this is the lamb. The son of God became human. He was born To be a lamb. He was born and raised to die. And and, and yet, even though he knew it, it doesn't mean it was easy for him. We're told he despised the shame of death when he died on a cross. But that there was joy that was better to him and made it worth it to him. The joy of saving God's people. The joy of being seen as the merciful, crucified, sacrificially loving Savior. And so he died for others. And I want to remind you. That everyone who dies for him is precious to you. You don't need convincing that his people are precious to him. He died for us. What do you what, what what more do you want? But those who die for him are precious to him. That's why we read Acts chapter nine. Why are you persecuting me, Saul? When you were coming against my disciples, you're coming against me. One man said love was at the bottom of all his grace. Let it be at the bottom of all our duty. Everything that he calls us to. May it be love that drives us. A love that's based upon the love that he loved us with and died for us with. I want you to consider even if you. Even if you. Are one of the ones spoken of in verse 11. Just consider the possibility. Even if you were called to love him by dying for him. Don't you have a better reason to die for him. Than he had to die for you. I want you to think back. To that moment when. If, can you remember when you realized. He died for me. Did. 
within the the range of possible outcomes of living for Jesus, within that range of possible outcomes of living for Jesus, is at the outer end the possibility of dying for him. It's just part of it. It is in the range. It's part of living for him. Dying for the lamb is a very viable option for some believers right now. And and maybe not now in Graham. And listen, we should thank God for that. We should thank God that that this does not seem like this is going to happen to us right now. We shouldn't be ashamed of it, embarrassed by it. We should thank God it is a mercy from Him. And we must not let that comfort us into a cowardly, worthless kind of discipleship. We should, and this is why we have Revelation 6, and God has given it to Redeemer Church today, we should live like we might die for the Lamb, even if we will not die for the Lamb. And we should do it the same way they did. In verse 9, they, they did this in two ways. They lived for the Word of God, and then secondly, they lived as witnesses who were willing to bear the hatred that would come because of it. So listen, believer, living ready to die for the lamb does not mean playing the martyr. Okay, we're, we're not talking about being a drama queen. We don't need drama queens in the church. It doesn't mean being a jerk. You know, not caring about people who are unbelieving or or who are ungodly, you know, for the sake of Jesus, just being a jerk. Living ready to die for the Lamb means what it says in verse 9. It means conforming our life to His Word. And listen to me, if you do that, if you will take Him at His Word and then form your life by His Word, and seek to obey Him, then there will be people in your life who do not do that, and they will come against you. They will. You will be accused. You will be left. You will be mistreated if you do what they did in verse 9 and living for the Word of God. You will live a life of losses, even if it doesn't get to the point of loss of life. You will. You need only to talk to a few of the most faithful in this room and they will tell you. If you experience, listen, if you experience no suffering for the word, It's not because you live in the Bible Belt. It's because you don't obey the Bible. So, 
be faithful witnesses. Live in your Bibles. Talk about Jesus to others. Call people when you talk about Jesus to surrender their lordship for his. And warn them when they refuse to do it. What's going to happen if they won't do it? And then you endure whatever cost comes to you, whatever cost. Live ready to die for Jesus, even if you never have to. Because it's better to die for him than to live against him. Beloved, this passage is so good because it tells us to get real about the world we're living in. Get real about it. I mean, this is a world that we are living in, as comfortable as it may be, as secluded as we may be in this little town, you know, away from all the crazies out there in the big city or whatever. We live in a world that is filled with rebellion. Rebellion against the rightful owner of everyone here. And because we live in that world, judgment is coming. And I just want you to know that. Yeah, dying for the land seems awful. But there is something worse than that. Point number two. Would you rather face his wrath? This is verses 12 through 17. Would you rather face his wrath? No one here is going to sign up for that. No one here is going to say, I'll take option B, thank you. I, I know that no one here, no one here especially. I don't mean in the church, I mean in Graham, Texas, would, would say that what they want is to face the wrath of Jesus. But listen to me. It is possible, just like it's possible to live for Jesus as if you're ready to die for Jesus, even in Graham, Texas. It is possible to live against Jesus in Graham, Texas and still claim him. And go to church. And be pretty good. People who live against Jesus, let's just, just take what, what we have in this one passage. People who live against Jesus, they mistreat his people. That's a sign of what living against Jesus looks like. So I do want to just ask, do you, do you, in this way, do you pressure people who were faithful to Jesus in your life, do you pressure them to be less committed? I don't take it quite so seriously. Less obedient. To plain command. They mistreat his people, but people who live against Jesus misdirect their worship. They misdirect their worship. These Judgments that we have in our passage were found earlier in the Bible and the prophets for people who were idolaters. Who put anything or anyone in front of Jesus. Do you? Well, what I'm saying is those who live against Jesus may live a long life. They're alive here in verse 9 or verses 12 through 17. 
They may live a long life. They may live a happy life, but they will face the wrath of the Lamb. And maybe that word wrath in our passage isn't a word that you're familiar with. It means the intense. Personal. Anger. And aggressive. Response. Of Jesus to punish those who offend him. Judgment that affects only some people. Like the four horsemen kind of judgment. Is not enough. Because the whole world is born against the Lord. Temporary judgment. Is not enough. Because. God and his worth is eternal. So that's why the saints who were faithful to the end say, how long? You're not just going to do what you did in, in the first four seals. How long until you finish this thing? And their cry is answered By the question that the unbelievers cry out and ask in verses 16 and 17. When all the unbelievers who are alive, having lived against Jesus in that day, call to the mountains of the rock and they they say, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? How long it's come. And it's coming. No one can stand it. The other seals were partial judgments. The sixth is the final judgment. That means these little judgments that you experience in life. That others, they're warnings that something greater is coming. It's coming. And one day, there will be people there who will say, it has, they, I was told about it, and the day of the wrath has come. There is this common idea that if people who don't believe in Jesus, if they could just see him, if they could just see him for who he is, then what they would do is run to him. And God tells us right here, that's not what they would do. They run from him. This is how deeply committed they are against him. It's not some small thing. And surely they're afraid to die. Like everyone, we're told, is naturally afraid to die. Naturally. But listen to me. God tells us there is something worse than dying. I wonder if you've ever imagined... Man, I hope I, I, if I know I have to die, I hope I die in this way. Or I, I especially hope I do not die in this way. Wouldn't being buried alive be one of the worst? 
trying to get out, conscious, spending all your strength, knowing you're dying, and then eventually suffocating to death. What do you think verse 16 is saying to us? Let the rocks fall on me and the mountains hide me. Better to be buried alive than to live against Jesus. You would rather be buried alive than face Jesus' wrath. That's what it's saying. So in those would-you-rather games, I mean, there, there, there aren't really wrong answers. You can pick one or the other. It's not really the point to say one's right. But living against the Lamb is the wrong answer. Verses 12 through 14, there, it says that there is an earthquake that's coming that's going to make all that we're seeing in Hurricane Ian look, look like a sprinkling of water. That, that one day, all the stars in the sky are going to become missiles headed right for us. And, and everything in our world that is always there and never moving, the Rocky Mountains and the Caribbean Islands, they're going to disappear. I have these, these memories in my life where where I'm just shaken into humility. I, I, I very vividly remember in Houston, Texas, studying the Bible one day, and this thunderstorm came, and this, this clap of thunder came, and it rocked me back. I remember being in the Pacific Ocean, swimming with Kelly, and, and us fighting against the current for 30 minutes and thinking we were dead. I remember being in a, in, a, in a soccer stadium in Houston, Texas, and the opposing fans were getting, there were so many thousands of them, they were getting so loud that I was so unsettled by it. I remember when Hurricane Katrina hit, and, and, and we saw all those people like climbing on top of their apartment complexes, and then Hurricane Rita came for Houston, and we were driving home for 23 hours to make a two-hour trip, and, and, and there was, it was lawlessness. And in these moments stand out to me because everything that I had assumed was gone. All the security and the stability in our life, all the, the things that are just normal that you expect to happen all the time, they, they end up in our sinful hearts deluding us into some idea that we can control things, that we can handle things, that we're able to, 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 to survive things, that we just feel steady a lot of the time. But they're all going to be gone one day. It's an illusion. Verse 15, all the king's men will not protect the king. All the money of the rich will not get them out of the wrath of the lamb. All the powerful's strength of, of mind and body will not help them then. Even the slave. Even the lowly and the poor who have experienced all kinds of mercy from God that they did not thank him for. Because of their weakness, God was favoring them in some way. They're going to realize that favor is gone. 
In other words, there will be no one to help. So if you're here and you're not totally devoted to living for the Lord Jesus, listen to me. Your problem is not that the Lord Jesus hasn't done enough for you. It's not that you still need him to reveal himself more. He got you here right now. You're able to hear what is your future right now before it happens. Your problem is you refuse to surrender to him. You, sur- you refuse to live with him as king because you want to be king. And it's an old story. The nations, we're told, are raging. They're, all the peoples are plotting. All of them are setting themselves against the Lord and against his Savior. And they're trying to live lives that say, let us burst our bo- their bonds from us. Let us live separated from us. Let's cast away any kind of tithe that he has on me. I will be king. But the Lord, the Lord is saying to you right now, this is your moment right now. Kiss the sun. You've got right now, kiss the son, lest he be angry with you, for his wrath is quickly kindled from that kind of behavior of living like your king. Do you want to know what is the flint that kindles the, the furious and burning anger of the Lord Jesus? It is refusing to surrender that he is the only king and you hearing this right now. Listen to me. Wrath is coming. Christ is coming. And you may feel right now like he's never going to come. Because he hasn't come. But the day of the wrath, the great day of the wrath of God in his land is And on that day, your career will not be able to make you stand. And everything that you have put Jesus off for, your pleasures will not be there to make you stand. Who can stand? The answer is no one. Your family won't be there that you put before the Lord Jesus will not be there to make you stand. None of the safeties of this country that have just blinded us that we will never be defeated will make you be able to stand against the wrath of the Lord Jesus. But the rest of Psalm 2 that I read to you tells you that you can stand. And chapter 7 will tell us there are people who will stand. And it's everyone who takes refuge. In the Lord Jesus. Blessed are those. Who will hide themselves. From him. In him. He died. On a cross. For rebels. Who wanted to be king. And his blood. Covers all. Of our treason. He forgives us. And then he puts us. There with him in white. And he accepts us. And all we're waiting for is the fullness of our salvation. And that can be yours right now. If you will stop refusing his lordship. Let me just say something to the children. This is heavy. 
Maybe I should say that to adults too. This is heavy. But children, children have a habit of never thinking about death. Maybe some children do, but most most children think that they're never going to die. You're going to die. And you should commit yourself right now to living for the Lord Jesus and being willing even to die for him. He's in the beginning of the passage when the judgment starts and he's right there bringing it to a close. What I'm trying to tell you is Jesus Christ is the alpha of every happening in history. He opens every seal. He brings every judgment. And he is the only hope of every sinner. So, children and adults, your relationship with him, your posture toward the Lord Jesus, where you are with the Lord Jesus, is everything because he is everything. Would you rather... Would you rather live a rich, long, happy life against the Lord Jesus? Or would you rather die for him? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would take your word and make it powerful and real in every heart here. Don't Don't leave anyone here in rebellion against you because the day is coming where no one will stand against you. And Lord, would you strengthen us to live more faithfully for you. More clearly for your word, more bold as witnesses, taking whatever comes against us. And we pray this for your glory and for our everlasting joy and rest. Amen.